Yes. All right, gents, welcome in. I am TC Fleming here, joined by Mike Marshall, and as our special guest for episodes three and four of The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, we have Mike Reiner. How's it going, man? It's going great. Looking forward to being with you tonight. You guys are not listening to Anita Baker, but the listener is because I'm going to add it in afterwards. And I'm putting that in there. I want everyone to know because in the uh, Game 5 Bulls Cavaliers, the uh, the ELO shot, mm-hmm. two seconds after he's done hitting that shot, on the court, they go over to him and ask him uh, a series of questions. The last one being, what did you listen to to lock in? And he said, this <laughs> Anita Baker song really put him over the edge. As a man who's famous for not uh, not liking hip-hop, I really, really enjoyed. I've always wondered if he doesn't like hip-hop, then what does Michael Jordan like? I, I doubt that he's like a big Stones guy. So, Anita Baker <laughs> well, is Well, I doubt that he's a big answer. Stones guy, but Anita Baker is not hip-hop. Yeah, no, 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 but Jordan hates hip-hop. I'm, I'm just saying, if you don't... If you don't listen to hip hop, you probably don't listen to like the white shit that I listen to. Well, what do you listen but to? But it's not white shit. Yeah, no, I'm saying Anita Baker is what's left. Yeah, that's the middle ground. Anita yeah, Baker. yeah, that, well, that's what I'm saying. That 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 seems that, that seems um, normal, although by today's standards, well outside the bounds. Yeah, there's like hip hop, and then there's white people shit, and then the only thing in the middle is Anita Baker and Darius Rucker. <laughs> like that's it. <laughs> that's yeah. all that exists. You didn't have a lot of options left. <laughs> <laughs> Mike yeah, is Mia, good to hear your voice. Absolutely. Uh, we we weighed in last week on on uh, the documentary ourselves, and I mean we can talk about the specifics of episode three and four. But I'll I just wanted to get your general uh, how you liking it so far, Mike. It's a real nice callback to that era. And it puts a lot of different things in perspective. It gives us a little bit of a looking glass when you um, compare the way things were back then to the way we know them to be today. And it's a very interesting juxtaposition. Um, it's It's been a lot of fun and ran really, really interesting. Indeed. Yeah, I, uh, I, I've got a, two categories for a lot of these things, and maybe every, at the start of every episode we can uh, maybe run, they, run these down, or we can never mention <laughs> this again. What are they, really fun and interesting? Uh, well, well, I want uh, the category one is uh, stuff I used to know, but uh, only remembered from watching this, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then stuff that must have been a huge news story at the time, but I have nothing in my head. Uh, and in category two, I would put the Rodman vacation. I had no idea. You never heard that? No. It was it was in, it was a big news story at the time for sure. To hear that they gave him forty, like Phil's looking at him like, is forty eight going to be enough? He's like, yeah, I'll take what you got. <laughs> then like a week later, they got a like. Imagine Michael fucking Jordan getting on a plane for the express purpose of like bringing him back. <laughs> what was the exact timeline? Like, how long was he gone? I know they did like a counter thing. They did like that fake hours ticking up thing. Yeah, but they never were like. So six days later, we're in this fucker's hotel room. They never like gave an exact time. I don't know. I mean, it was. I think it was around sixty that like the counter went to. So Damn. that's like what four, four or five and a half days? days. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. No, but I don't remember know. this at all. Yeah, like it just didn't enter my like whatever year this was. My ten year old brain did not touch this at well, all, and I've never heard of it since. What was the reporting at the time, Mike? Well, I remembered it 
but I hadn't thought about it since then. It really blew over pretty quickly, all things considered. But it was the Bulls. It was Dennis Rodman. Michael Jordan was involved in there, at least on some sort of tertiary level. Mm -hmm. And as such, it was the dominant basketball story of the time. Yeah, I uh, I thought it was interesting watching how Michael dealt with Rodman because episode three, obviously, the big focus is Rodman, so we're going to talk about mm-hmm. Rodman. Uh, and like, the, the, you see the some moments where uh, you know Jordan's like uh, telling Phil, "Hey, back off him. He's Rodman. You know, like let's just let him do whatever he's going to do. We got to embrace." You know, uh, he was not the one that said, uh, "Don't put a saddle on a Mustang," but he he embraced that general yeah. ethos. But then at other times, like he did have a line, like whenever Phil sat him down, was like, Rodman needs a vacation. He was like, fuck, I need a vacation. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) Well, he treated him just like a coach would. Yeah. You know? In all these, Jordan appears to be a coach. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, we saw it firsthand with, you know, Jimmy Johnson, who told us straight away, I treat everybody the same because I treat them all differently. Yeah. And... Mm -hmm. You know, any good coach does that. I don't know if Jimmy actually set the template for it, but I never heard anybody say it before him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, things were changing, you know, inside the game in such a way back then as to where the coaches who were a little bit ahead of the curve saw that that's the way they had to handle these guys if they wanted them to play for them. I, uh, I, I was watching this, and I had the thought pop into my head wondering if, like, Phil Jackson seems exceptionally suited for basketball. I wonder if he would have had the same success in another sport. I have a hard time imagining him as a similarly successful NFL coach. <laughs> I don't know. I think Phil Jackson would be good in just about anything he does. I He's mean, very like, good with people. Yeah, like you, I'm a big Phil Jackson fan. Yeah. And I think basketball has been worse off with him not in it anymore. I mean, I doubt if he's going to come back now, but no. But you know, when when the game lost him, it lost um not only a really good coach, but a coach that carried with him a, a lot more than just being able to go out there and win a game on the basketball floor. Yeah, it it seems to have uh the game seems to have tactically passed him by quite a bit. Like uh I he just didn't appear interested in keeping up at a certain point, but just those those personal skills like on the one hand he was like a a a, a tactically distinctive coach and I I enjoyed the heck out of him talking about the triangle and how he pitched it to Jordan and what why it was important to him. Um but like that's also not entirely his appeal not even close to entirely his appeal like his appeal is that you know he he can take all of those guys and make them work together and everyone he kind of meets them on their level in a way that you know uh uh doesn't piss them off and gets the most out of them but but doesn't uh you know still still demand something of it it's not like the the inmates were running the asylum kind of yeah. thing and that that is exceptionally difficult to do to be as understanding and chill as he was while still maintaining some authority like it's it's a very soft authority, and few can uh, few can can wield it that way. I think a lot of that came from his background and his upbringing, which I knew a little about, but but this showed me a lot more about it than I'd ever seen or heard or read before. And his path to the NBA 
both in terms of the way he got there and where he came from, is very extraordinary. I knew the CVA thing. I had no idea about Puerto Rico, man. Puerto no. Rico. That's <laughs> exceptional. What do you love think that about footage. that machine? Dude, they were just like smoking cigars in the stands and just people would get into fights. And well, the guy shot a ref and he got suspended for the rest yeah. of the home games. Like, can't that's all that's happening to him. Yeah, you can't go to the home games anymore. That's what's going to happen to you after you shoot a ref. <laughs> but one of, the, one, of the, one of the things I think we've like started doing to coaches, and I don't know when this was, it might have been like 2005, 2010, which is when you have a gimmick, when you have something that they can label you by. Whether it's a you know run and shoot offense or you know uh, eight seconds or less in basketball, the second you get hired because of this gimmick, that's the reason you're gonna get fired too, because yeah. this thing is not gonna work at some point. And I remember the end of Phil's time um, with the Knicks. I think was the last place he was at, and he was trying to run the triangle with like Carmelo and like Tyson Chandler and like J.R. Smith. And everyone was like, ah, the game's just passed filled by, filled by and uh, the triangle doesn't work anymore. And I was like, do you seriously think that the game is like just leapfrogged Phil Jackson's mind and he can't comprehend how to coach basketball anymore? Or are the players just exceptionally shitty on this team? Like, which one do you think it is? Yeah, it's possible. But just like some of the stuff that he has said in public, I, I believe he has some like uh, anti three point revolution quotes out there. Yeah, and yeah, he does. I mean, well, if you won six titles in this on this team, and then what three more with the Lakers playing this way, you might call it different too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but he, now keep in mind. That of those three that you just mentioned, two of them are a couple of the most edgy cats that you could possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. And it could be that by the time he got to the Knicks, I don't know. I don't know what happens to guys like him. Maybe he had just lost his desire to try and connect with these guys the way he once did. Or mm -hmm. it could be that he tried and just couldn't. Dude, Carmelo's quote, the little interstitial thing tells you everything mm -hmm. you need to know. Or he's like, like he had, I'm sure that they, they sat him down and were like, just say something about the nineties bulls. And the thing he chose <laughs> was being like Rodman being like, I don't even care about this fucking game. And he was right. like, that really resonated with me. <laughs> I also don't care about games. <laughs> That's a cornerstone memory of his is Rodman playing game 82. So they could win 72 in that, in that year and set the record and Rodman playing, winning, and then going, I don't give a fuck about this. Like, that's Melo's <laughs> yeah. memory of what's important about basketball in the 90s. He was a young kid watching awesome. being like, I, 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 that's, that's what I want. I want to not give a fuck yeah. about the games I'm playing in. Exactly. I think, I think when Phil started letting go of the rope, it was probably what, what makes him great is that every single day, or it feels like, I mean, I don't know the guy, I don't talk to him, but it feels like every day he came into the office, he knew what the temperature was with every single person on that team. Mm -hmm. Like he could just tell you, he's like Rodman's running hot. MJ's kind of out of it right now. And whenever you lose like a little bit of that, when you start giving a little fewer shits about keeping up with all these 15, 17 people on your roster, I think it just starts going. Yeah. And one, yep. and once you're not that guy, then you know, what are you yep. give a shit matters in this world? I think the mm -hmm. Knicks thing was was just the money grab. I don't I don't really judge oh, absolutely. him for that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I have no 
<laughs> I don't judge him from his time in New York at all. Uh, Phil Jackson, one of the most ranch-sacked individuals of all time. <laughs> he was born ranch-sacked. Yes. <laughs> he really was. Talk about a guy who loves a cow skull. God almighty. Mike, have you ever just like broed down so fucking hard with another bro over how much you and him love Native American stuff? <laughs> Because that's that's what happened with him and Rodman. I can't say that I have. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I enjoyed the parts where they were talking about Doug Collins. And I don't know. uh, I remember Doug Collins as an ESPN personality and a pretty middling 76ers coach. And uh, Mm -hmm. I I, I don't know. I mean, I I was aware that he coached Jordan at some point. But I was... Fairly surprised to hear the things that Jordan was saying about him, where he he appeared to love Doug Collins and, you know, needed to be talked a little bit into the idea of, well, it's not Doug, it's Phil now. Yeah. And I I was just, I, I, it, it raised my perception of Doug Collins to hear the way that Jordan was talking about him. I I didn't know what, uh, what you guys, what your, your, your priors on, what's your take on Doug Collins? Mine was pretty high back then. I thought he was one of the better coaches in the league because, you know, when he was there, that team was, even back then, you know, it was kind of in its um, uh, nascent stage, if you will. But even then, that thing was no day at Marineland. You know, it was still kind of a hard group to corral because they were finding out who they were and what they were, although they weren't there quite yet. But they were on their way, and they could tell that that they had something pretty special. And, you know, young guys like that who all of a sudden are making a lot of money and everything, you got to have the right guy in there. And for a long time, he was the right guy. I always thought Doug Collins was a really good coach. Yeah. Uh, What what did you think of a machine? I mean, I remember him as the commentator more than anything. And then, like you, whenever he went to the Sixers, I think that was like Iguodala uh, Sixers years. And I just thought, you know, he's fine. He's an Eastern Conference coach that will probably never win. A title, but I didn't know like they were that good when he coached the Bulls. Like you hear, Doug Collins was Michael Jordan's first coach that got him, you know, an Eastern Conference Finals, this and that. And I just thought, oh, he was just the guy that happened to be there at the right time, right? Um, but no, I mean, Doug Collins apparently is a hell of a coach, and I'd like to run the the sim a couple times and see what Michael Jordan's career ends up like if they don't make the coaching change, if they don't go to Phil Jackson at some point. Yeah, I I I would love. To be able to, to, to see how that looks. Because, you know, it, my opinion of Phil is such that I believe that he got a little extra than what just about anyone could have gotten. But mm-hmm. you'd love to know after hearing Jordan say, you know, the way that he and he and Collins clicked and the, the stuff he was talking about, the competitive fire, the, you know, the way he loved to stack practices against Jordan because Jordan loved doing it and then, then winning anyways. And I don't know. Uh, may, may, maybe it's too much competitiveness, too much tea in one room. But <laughs> it seemed like those guys could match each other, and that that would be an interesting thing to watch play out over the course of Jordan's career. I think. No I doubt. just remember remember being surprised by the change. Yeah. Or that you know I I can't remember exactly if it was kind of in the wind out there for a few days beforehand, like these things so often are, or, or whether it came down from out of the blue or what, but I remember when it sounded it, like it wasn't out of the blue to Collins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I remember when it did come down that, you know, out here in the hinterlands, I was surprised by it. Yeah. Cause from the outside and from this distance, which was considerable, seemed like everything was going really well. It, it, 
I, I don't know if there was a simplification they're presenting in the documentaries whenever you got, you know, 10 hours to tell uh, 20 years of history. It's challenging. Um, but uh, it sounded like that it, they made it seem that it's just uh, Kraus was really interested in this triangle offense stuff. Collins wasn't. And Phil was willing to, you know, run with it whole hog and kind of used, you know, this uh, getting close to Tex Winter, who's a guy that Kraus cared about a lot. And just, you know, I mean, hard to know if that's like a, a purely uh, uh, like careerist kind of thing or if he just really did like Tex Winter. I mean, he stuck with the triangle for the rest of his career. So you'd assume that they had some kind of connection and respect for each other's ideas. Um, but yeah, that's a. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I had something I wanted to ask you about, but now it's out of my head. Well, this feels know. like the first like big flex that Jerry Krause tried to pull, right? Yeah. Well, that's like, everything's that working. I wanted to know what you thought gonna, of Krause. I'm going to get my guy in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's one of those guys that you probably would have to be around and see him operate on a day to day basis to really get a feel for him, mm-hmm. because I didn't think he came off that badly. In this documentary, yet it's clear that everybody who was around the club hated him. I thought episodes one and two, whenever they were talking more about, I mean, the decision to blow it up just because, like, the guys are being dicks to you and you want to show them that you can do it on your own, like, he scuttled one of the all-time teams just because he wanted to let them know that he was, in fact, Jerry Krause. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, that's... uh, that's not a guy that I want to be around. Well, no, it's not a guy I want to be around either. And it's it's always been extremely far-fetched because, you know, we've seen other guys throughout the annals of sports who have done the same thing. And it's kind of hard to believe that somebody would be that successful over that long a period of time and then all of a sudden try and take it down. But I will defer to those to Sam Smith and those guys in the Chicago media who who were telling us then and still stand true to it that that was what what was happening. I mean, it's it certainly seems like Jordan thinks that's yeah, what's going on. Yeah, oh yeah. On. Uh, he's all in on that. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I I would think that and and all of the, you know, like Phil also got that impression like uh you know, I, I would think that whenever like I I agree with you that I, it's it's puzzling and you you'd ca- I I wish the crowds were alive to tell his side of the story. I think that he is a missing piece in this documentary. It's nice that they do have as many interviews with him as they do, mm-hmm. but I would love to hear what he thinks in 2020 about all this stuff. Boy, I would too. And the, the way that they uh you know like have other people watch like the whenever they handed Jordan the uh, Isaiah talking about the walk-off yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. I would love to see some of that with Kraus, you know, yeah. of like here's here's what they all said you did. What what do you think? Um, mm. but I don't know. I, I, yeah, I walked to say away that too, but if we're going, if we're going to, then we got a story. that's going to be a whole lot bigger than <laughs> this documentary. That's for sure. That's true. <laughs> it, it um, feels like his, his mentality of like managing a professional team in the mid nineties, early and mid nineties, uh, was very ingrained from baseball, right? Yeah. Because in baseball you can, I mean, the Marlins come to my mind immediately, right? Win a title, sell every player off, like within the next year or two build it back up, win another title. That feels like how you do it in baseball in a team that doesn't have like the money to compete in baseball. Like you, you do a fire sale, you restart the thing. I'm smart enough to pull this off again. Let's do it this way. And he ran up against the greatest athlete in North American sport and the most iconic figure that we have in our culture right now as far as sport and just pop culture in general. And it just, he took an L. Yeah. Yeah, a hard L. 
Yeah. It's it's like I watched the first two episodes. Was like, all right, this guy is an idiot, and everything good thing that happened is uh, just a mistake. And after having a week to stew on it, and then watching, you know, the rest of this, and realizing he's the guy that did find Collins, that found Phil Jackson, mm-hmm. that drafted Pippen, and all that sort of stuff. I'm 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 thinking that that was probably an overreaction. He probably had some skill somewhere, but I don't know. Well, man. We all have our hits and misses in this world. Yeah, and you know he. Had a few really big misses, but he also had a few big hits too. I just imagine, like, I don't. It seems like the sports media was just a little more understanding back then. Because could you imagine if the Mavericks were like, uh, yeah, we're gonna have Thad Levine be our GM? <laughs> like, it's it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Don't write any critical stories, and like, just let him cook for like fifteen years. Yeah. Just give him space to grow. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Like, people did not seem to react to that extremely enough. Like, I'd, yeah. I. I think that you, one of the reasons you couldn't do that now is because like people would freak out to me. I mean, even like the uh, Paul D. Podesta, the Browns thing, mm-hmm. is uh, not been received nicely, and like you know they they backed off of that and have I, I think like re embraced him a little bit, and he never got fired or anything. But uh, that's the the clearest modern parallel, and I don't know, man, that's a weird story. Whereas Jerry Krause just kind of seemed to settle into being a regular NBA GM pretty quickly. <laughs> He's got to have some genius in there, though, right? It's just like over the long term, the whole term of the thing, he's going to do his own shit about two or three times in a couple little power struggles. And that's yeah. just his personality that reveals itself over 10, 15 years or whatever. Yeah, and I, I, because, I really I mean, just think that stuff holds him back. Yeah, probably the yeah. play with, with, with somebody like that is to just let him win every now and then. Mm-hmm. You know, if Absolutely. there's a place where you can just give him a little victory, then yep. do it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's more trouble than it's worth to try and win every fight against somebody like that. Because I was, uh, I've been listening to uh, what what Bill Simmons has to say about this. I know you guys are two big Bill Simmons fans, yeah. and uh, he uh, he he was just been talking about how the team compares the Teen Wolf, uh, and. Oh. Perfect. <laughs> no. Um, he was talking about the Celtics thought that they had Scottie Pippen at one point, and it was for uh, a package of three picks, two first-rounders that year, and I, I believe that it was his contention the best players of those slots were uh, Chauncey Billups and Tracy McGrady, and then the Paul Pierce pick the next year. And mm-hmm. I am very interested to see how this plays out if Jerry Krause is not like in a pissing match with Jordan. And if he – because – I think that a lot of the guys you you would have had, like, Scotty's deal is up. He's not going to be cheap anymore. Rodman's career was done within the year. Um, You know, most of the pieces on that team are are going away. Uh, But if, if I believe it would involve going a year early so that you you would have blown up the team prior to what ended up being the the second title over the, the Jazz. But, like, watching Jordan run around with Chauncey Billups, Tracy McGrady, and Paul Pierce... Like, I don't know. He's probably too old to, like, really be there in their prime. But, I mean, he came back and played in the league, you know? like He was pretty good when he came back. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't bad. Uh, I don't don't know that they win that third title, like the the second Mm three-peat. So that's tough. But maybe they do. And maybe they win, like, two more four years later or something. I 
I don't know. Uh, I, I would love to see if, if it wasn't just, if it was someone trying to make rational basketball decisions about how do we rebuild with this core being old or a guy who's using the fact that it's an old core to try and prove some points about his interpersonal squabbles with Jordan and Phil. Uh, you know, that, that seems like less, less optimal. I would like to see what, what someone who's really locked in and trying to just make the best team is going to do. I don't know, Jordan, with those guys that you just mentioned, man, that seems like a lot of big chemistry issues there. Yeah, but maybe are they better if, if he's there? I mean, if, if Rodman will shut the fuck up and listen to him. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he's the magic man who can fix anything you give him. Yeah. But, God, those three just seem like a lot to me. I don't know if Paul Pierce listens to anybody. And maybe like, there's other... At, at that age. Yeah, no, maybe. Um, and And... You think Tracy McGrady did? Uh, he would, he'd be your friend. He'd be your pal, but then he'd go out there and shoot the ball 37 times, and you'd be like, what the fuck did we just talk about? Yeah. We just <laughs> talked about this. What are you doing? Yeah, that'd be the story the after time. every game. Get him in there in the room and say, what do we do in practice today? No. What do we say? Yep. <laughs> yep. He, he wouldn't make it. He wouldn't make it. I mean, he was what? He came out of high school. He was 18, probably. 19 years old. Jordan would have ate him alive the first year. They wouldn't have drafted him. They would not have drafted Tracy McGrady. And those are all you. small, you know, I mean, not small, but like, uh, you know, you, you would think that if you're losing Rodman and Pippen, you would need players, you know, maybe on the bigger side. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I would have liked to have, uh, you know, I, I just want to see like 30 different iterations of uh, this period of Bulls basketball. <laughs> I think all of them are interesting. It's a good mm-hmm. man for sure. It is good. Uh, going into the, uh, the Rodman stuff, I, I don't know. I, I, was a little like I, Jake was on last week and was telling us that he was dreading the uh, the Rodman episode a little bit, and I I think that I am uh, inclined to agree with him about that. I, I think that everyone has spent like Rodman's entire career in the period since, like trying to uh, solve this puzzle, and the answer is there's not much there. Like he dyes his hair sometimes, guys. <laughs> he wears some nose rings. Like he doesn't have anything insightful to say he's an excellent rebounder but like i don't know uh you you don't write books about people who are good about rebounding you know yeah and yeah he's got a limited and isolated but strong skill set yeah you know he does only certain things and those certain things are things that can't even come close to carrying a team. But you surround him with the right guys. He's real good at those things. And if you do surround him with the right guys, then and you can keep him in hand, then he's a great fit. I mean, I, I think that if he doesn't end up on this team with these guys, I, I kind of think that anyone else in the league, like he's he's just a bunch of nothing and no one wants to put up with him. Yeah, and, it's it's definitely a case of, the right guy in the right place at the right time with the right shit. This is like a mm-hmm. 90th percentile for how his career could yes, have gone. This, this is Randy Moss with the Patriots, right? Yeah. yeah, like yeah. This, is, this is the guy that can only go to this exact team and will only listen to the absolute best at that game. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm with you on the Rodman. Like, everyone thinks he's some kind of, like, onion. Like, you peel him back, and the next layer is going to be more interesting than this one. And there's just, to me, there's just, like, nothing there. There's yeah. like a collection there's a collection of things that I through my life experiences have deemed as cool and things that I have not. 
and a guy that just wants attention all the time by being bombastic, by bombastic and just out there and weird for the sake of being weird and cursing in front of cameras because he wants to curse in front of cameras because you know they'll play it somewhere. Just That's the most like 90s look at me, like I'm not that interesting, not that smart, but please keep this camera on me or I'm going to kill myself type mentality I've like ever seen. Yeah. And it's not cool at all to me. Like I don't, I don't like it. Like I don't yeah. like Dennis Rodman. It's like, I got nothing, but I'm going to make you think I do. And if you don't mm-hmm. keep watching me, I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought the most insightful thing he said, uh, was the Barbara Walters interview where he was, she was like, why do you do all this stuff? And he was like, it makes me feel like a 10 year old. And you, you hear about his upbringing and, you know, I, I, I'm strongly inclined to believe the uh, the folks who will tell you that you know whenever someone experiences trauma, they kind of stop growing at that age. And it didn't sound like he had an easy age ten or mm-hmm. nine or eleven. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I I think that in in the way that you would see someone that age, like you know, try to get their parents' attention by uh, acting however they could act, just so that people. You know, remember that they're alive. I, I feel like uh, all of America were Rodman's parents, and he remained a ten-year-old. <laughs> yeah is he is he purposely trying to sound like Rick James now? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> like, like he is the most Rick James on Chappelle show person I have ever heard. Like I think he's trying to mimic like his speech patterns, like it's it's just on point. I'm sitting there watching that, and I'm like, I'm watching fucking Rick James right now, but it's Dennis Rodman says it on the lower third. Yeah. is did, uh, I, don't, I don't get him. Did, were, were you on the round table whenever he came to ticket stock, Mike? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, did you have any personal interactions with old Rodman? Um, you know, I'm just throwing out a couple of questions at him and everything, but, he, you know, he was about like I thought he would be. It always bums me out a little bit that he had such a tough upbringing here. Because it was here, right? Yeah, it was here. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. He went I, to sock. I'm just always worried about the city doing enough to support the people in the southern part of it. And it doesn't sound like we uh, held Dennis Rodman up the way that we should have. Let me tell you something. Not only does the city not do enough to support the people in the southern part of it, it never has and it never will. Yeah, and uh, I, I certainly don't think it did whenever he was going No, up. no, no. If you think it's forgotten now, you should have seen it then. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. It, it feels like a choice. It feels like uh, the whole thing that we as a country had to go through with Dennis Rodman demanding attention, like uh, we just could have made some better choices as a city and uh, just sidestepped that whole thing. Just had a good <laughs> rebounder who uh, you know kept normal hair and uh, just liked playing defense. I would absolutely pay good money to see him teach a rebounding clinic. I had never heard anyone talk about <laughs> rebounding the way that he was in this uh, in this doc of like that he wanted to know if Larry's shot had spin and you know like yeah. uh, just going to the spot on the court where he thought it would be based no, on that. I, I mean, even back then, even when he was in the game, it was no accident. Yeah, I mean, it was something that he worked on. It was something that he gave thought to, which shows that this is no dummy yeah oh this, yeah this is no, this is not a a, a ignorant individual he talks like an idiot but his play is very intelligent yeah it is i mean he is a bad i mean i don't know how he is in other parts of his life but he's a basketball savant and, and he's the, like bill it's like bill russell right yeah, you yeah. listen to bill russell, bill, russell talk about, the, bill russell was the same way 
Mm-hmm. When he talks about why he would block a shot a certain way, like you could run in and just block the piss out of a shot and throw it into the stands and be intimidating. Bill Russell would block it just enough where he could get the blocked shot and go the other way with it, right? It's something you just don't think about. You think about, oh, block the shot, like do the most athletic thing. And Rodman wants to know if there's spin on the ball, if, if the rims are thick, if, you know, he wants to know everything about where this ball is going if it's missed. Yeah. Well, as long as you're getting me on Bill Russell, he <laughs> would, before he would block a shot, he would take a quick look around to see where everybody else on the floor was. And if there was one of his teammates standing around that was fairly open, he would block the shot in such a way as to where the ball would go to him. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, he was incredible like that. Yeah, I uh, I can't be the first person to make this point, but it, it is odd that Rodman's game and like his personality like seem to emphasize absolutely different things. Like you would think that someone who acted like him would be a scorer, but like he could not give a shit about the the parts of the game that people traditionally wa- reward with attention. He was doing everything else, and uh, you know, I think I don't that's know. why he'd get miserable at times. Honestly, yeah, because he his personality is so. I mean, he's he's a classic Tomcat, right? Like, he's, like, borderline probably bipolar type person. Oh, yeah. And I think at some points, like, he found joy in the game for probably, like, three weeks at a time. Yeah. And then that fourth week was probably just fucking miserable. Yeah. Because he can't, he's, no one's wanting to rebound with him anymore. No one's wanting to fight with him. No one's wanting to wrestle. And he just gets, and that's what the vacation was about, I think. I think he had to be on his toes and not foul out and not get kicked out of games and be, like, the straight man. And and locked in and be an example for everyone, and that just got really really tired for him. Yeah, he had to worry about parts of the game that he didn't care about. How great was it to hear from Carmen Electra? See how she's doing. Man, holding up, huh? Indeed. Wow, hold it up. Wow. I was like, damn, was this from like 2009? When's this interview? And I'm like, oh shit, that's probably like last year. One of the all time greats. (laughs) Yes. Watching watching Rodman, um, I couldn't help but. Just watch every every little movement he did, even how he would hand off balls when people would like come off a screen that he said, dude, that's DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. Like spending spending that six months I got to spend with DeAndre Jordan, they play exactly the same. Like yeah. I'm sure DeAndre watched Dennis a lot and probably took a lot of his game from Dennis, but mm-hmm. dude, it was every movement was almost exactly identical. Of course, DeAndre's probably like three or four inches taller, probably jump a little bit higher. Um, was more they figured out a way to involve that kind of athlete on the offensive end eventually with the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. But that dude, those dudes are the same athlete to me. Like watching Rodman freaked me out how much he looked like DeAndre. I was uh, getting a little tripped out just thinking about uh, Rodman and Pippen being on the same team. Of like the chances of one of them doing anything other than leading a miserable life, like seems <laughs> pretty low. Like given. Their you know shot as an upbringing like if you just tell me you know the the basic stats of like well he's one of like fifteen kids and uh, his parents didn't have any money at all uh, he was you know in like a economically inadvantaged area so like they didn't know anyone who'd ever had any money like I don't know uh, that's not a great profile <laughs> not what you're looking for uh, so the fact that not one but two of them came through on the same team seems fairly statistically improbable to me. That's what I'm saying. That's why I think Jerry Krause is like a genius. Yeah. Because, I mean, you don't draft Pippen third overall or whatever just in a straight face like this is the talent in this draft type thing, right? 
Mm-hmm. He had to see something in Pippin that was like, this guy's a maniac. He will work his ass off. He'll probably grow three or four more inches, and then we have some player that no one's ever seen. And then Rodman, kind of the same way. I mean, taking a chance on him, I barely remember Rodman in San Antonio. Um, and I sure as hell don't remember Sean Elliott going the other way to Detroit uh, yeah. late in his career. But uh, taking a chance on that guy after, I mean, the league kind of decides when you're done, right? The league yeah. kind of looks at everybody. I don't know if they they say it out loud or if they just do it in group text messages now. But whenever a guy gets sent away, if, whenever a guy gets Dennis Smith jr and sent away to some place that he doesn't really want to be at, and because he's too hot to handle, the league kind of just goes, yeah, well, we don't need him to work here anymore. Yeah. But, but Kraus saw something. He was like, I need that guy. We can handle it. Where is DSJ? Uh, Nick's, I think, unless he's, well, at the end of this season, whenever we finish this season, his contract will be up. His rookie deal will be up, and then he'll be a free agent or restricted You could get him back if you want. We could, yeah. Do you have any uh, Rodman in San Antonio memories, Mike? <sighs> Nothing really sticks out specifically. But I don't know. It, it just seemed like a really weird fit. But then again, there you got another coach who will take on a guy like that every now and then, take a shot on a guy like that. Yeah. And more often than not, he will find a way to make it work. So I one of my favorite moments from uh, this episode was... Uh, <laughs> no, I know where you're going. Uh, what? <laughs> Dude, just the Ron Harper story. <laughs> yes. I love that. I love the Craig Elo, Cavs, Ron Harper. Absolutely. That was my favorite moment thus far. Uh, just him being like, Coach, I got him. Because whenever he was yeah. saying that, I mean, I guess, like, like for one, before this even aired, I, I went back and watched, like, the last 10 minutes of that game just because I was interested. Yeah. Um, I, I think everyone knows this by now, but they, they don't show the shot of uh, Jordan celebrating in the broadcast. It's yeah. uh, Doug Collins running on the court. And so I, I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot again. And everyone I've asked this question so far uh, doesn't know the answer. But I would love to know how that uh, Jordan celebration like became part of the uh, the the American lexicon because like what like Sports Center showed it that night and it became iconic like it wasn't on the game broadcast they didn't show it like he he jumped off camera and like that has become one of the like three most defining images of like I don't know fucking all of basketball probably ESPN had somebody there with the marching orders look. Put a camera on Michael Jordan at all times and keep it on him. Yeah. Oh. And uh, there's a local broadcast uh, that's shooting from under the basket that you can find on YouTube that uh, that also catches him from the reverse angle. So if you've seen this uh, shot so many times, I want to, you know, um, kind of have your own basketball version of The Stranger. I would uh, I would recommend <laughs> seeking that out. Um, um, was that was that did they turn that into like a. Kodak commercial or anything, Mike? Because I remember when I did, uh, I was working on a documentary with Everson, Everson Walls, about the Cowboys and the catch. And I don't think they showed that exact angle at the game. And then they re-showed it later in that Kodak commercial that got a tons of, tons of play. Um, and everyone knows this moment, right? This Dwight Clark jumping over him, catching the ball mm-hmm. moment. I'm wondering if, if like this Jordan angle, because that is like, that's the perfect angle because some reason Craig Elo watches this shot and then it looks like Craig Elo got shot with an M16 and he just ah, like crumbles to the ground. Like that's the angle. 
Like, you have to see this. It feels a little fucked up that everyone mentions Craig Elo. Like, I can't remember another shot where it's referred to as the, you know, insert player's last name shot, and they're mm-hmm. talking about the defender. Like, <laughs> yeah. Jordan shot a lot of shots. It was over a lot of people. Like, he's really fucking good. Try to defend him one-on-one. It's going to go bad for you. Like, I don't know. Elo had a good game. Uh, he scored with six seconds to go to put his team up by yeah. one. Yeah, like, but you can't call it the Jordan shot. There are a million Jordan shots. Like mm-hmm. the, the the shot against the Cavs, the you know, the Richfield Coliseum shot. He probably uh, had a million of those too. <laughs> he may you know, have. He, he played there what three, four times a year. But uh yeah. he also had a lot of buckets over Craig Elo, I would assume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there, like, wasn't that, it first that was round? the one. Was that first round? Or second yes. round? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's first round, so they're not gonna call it like miracle on something, right? Yeah. Um but yeah, I, I don't. I don't naming it the Craig Elo shot. Like I think of the shot we'll get to eventually at some point in this documentary. The the Byron Russell shot, the push yeah. off, right? Like I call that the Byron Russell Byron Russell shot for sure. Like, I call it push off. Eh, yeah, whatever, whatever side of the coin you were on. Uh, but yeah, so most of the time, I feel like whenever you hear the stories of like. Uh, coach give it to me it's very rarely in the context of and then the coach told me to fuck off (laughs) uh like there's the story is that uh doug collins was drawing up a play for like their third or fourth option on that Mm -hmm. play and the jordan uh like swatted his clipboard and was like just get me the fucking ball and then they did (laughs) and in the other huddle harper's like i got him coach and he's like all right so we're gonna put elo on him (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and just to and see Ron Harper goes Ron Harper goes yeah okay whatever fuck this bullshit yeah you want to put, e- put Elo on it fine put Elo on him and let's see what happens yeah, yeah. and uh, Some, that, somewhere else there's a there's a tape of Will Purdue explaining how the ball was supposed to go to him in yeah. the final second <laughs> yeah I told coach I was ready uh, I was ready I had my guy sealed I sealed him yeah, uh, I think the, <laughs> the, the Harper thing is going to be a meme, uh, for sure. Oh, I've, I've already is. seen it used. I want to see yeah. it used a hundred more times. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of times where, uh, and then I said, all right, <laughs> yeah. fuck this bullshit. is uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. a very useful sentence. Whatever. That's often how I feel. <laughs> um, that was awesome, dude. That was my favorite moment of the, the four episodes thus far. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was I, I love seeing Jordan be candid about this stuff, like, because he was the first one to be like, yeah, I thought it was a mistake mm-hmm. to put Elo. Harper's guarding me better. You know, I, I just want to hear his opinion on that kind of stuff of like, you know, who who was doing a good job of, of guarding mm-hmm. him, how, how you know, what, what way he would have played himself, like that kind of stuff. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I just continue to be delighted that we are getting uh, what I feel is the most honest Jordan has ever been. Would, would you say that? Yeah, yeah. And I remember being really surprised by the fact that Elo was on him, too. Because yeah. Harper had a reputation as being a good defensive player, you know? So sure. at that time of the game, you want a good defensive player on the best player in the game. You want to you want to take the best shots you have at trying to contain, and it didn't seem like that was Elo to me. I thought it was really strange. So the other part think- of this that I thought was really revealing from these episodes is I love the shit of uh, Jordan being fairly frank about how much he hates Isaiah Thomas and the Pistons. Well, that's the thing, man. That's the thing I was about to say is I'm sure they started tiptoeing into these interviews. Mr. Michael Jordan, could you answer this question for us, please? And then they knew 
whenever they got to the competitive shit and the Pistons shit, he was just going to start firing. Yeah. And he does, and it's yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah, it'd be like, I'll watch whatever you want me to watch, but that guy's a fucking asshole, and no video you're going to show me is going to change that. <laughs> he hates Ike. Dude, yeah. He hates IT. There is no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, don't, I, I assume that we're going to have a lot of Dream Team stuff shortly. Um, yeah. But that, that is a, a fun thing, uh, imagining Jordan keeping Thomas off of the team just because he didn't <laughs> like him. Although I don't, I don't know exactly how that matches up. I was looking at Isaiah Thomas's numbers today, and uh, that's a short career, man. He was done like 32. He was just out. And I, yeah. I think there was an injury, some kind of uh, getting hurt somewhere. I heard someone mention that, and then I Googled Isaiah Thomas injury, and then I was uh, bedeviled by the fact that there's a player with the same name playing currently. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot more results on that's that. That's always weird. That always weirds me out. Yeah. And the, like his, uh, I believe his dad lost the bet to name him isaiah thomas like his <laughs> friend was an isaiah thomas fan <laughs> and there ought to That's be a awesome. rule against that like if you come into the league and yeah. you have the same name as a real famous player that we've had before you got to fix it like an ellis yeah. island situation where yeah, we just the, make the, up a new name yeah, for the you guy you got to come up with a new name for yourself yeah, yeah. we got one what's isaiah your, thomas. you ain't coming in here as, as another isaiah thomas you're gonna be ben no. cooper now <laughs> at least not in the eastern conference as well that just can't work that's right too confusing right. um but yeah just uh just to see how live his feelings currently were towards the pistol like where he was like yeah i hated him then and now like fuck those guys <laughs> horace grant straight up bitches yeah 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 <laughs> but he called them i was like damn like they're still salty man that will and, never and, get fixed no no i don't think so that will never get fixed uh, and I, it, I'm sure being being a super talented team that's like, you know, has the greatest player on earth, you've got to be incredibly annoyed by this team that is just, their one goal is to junk up the game. I'm just trying to beat the shit out of you. That's all we're trying to do tonight. And we have enough skilled players and we have Isaiah Thomas and some guys that can still score a little bit. But I know if I muddy up this game and make this shit ugly... We have a way better chance of winning. And being a superior team that the Bulls were, that had to drive them insane. Uh, what was a? Uh, I, I I did not uh, have a lot of memories of the uh, the Bad Boy Pistons. I certainly respect them, but I uh, didn't watch many of their games live. By which I mean any. Um, <laughs> how much of a factor was Aguirre on that team? What what role did he play? Um, I wouldn't say it was minimal, but it was limited. He was just a guy. Okay. After he got out of here, he was just a guy. That's too bad. Yeah, it is. Because here, if he'd have played his cards right, he could have stayed here for the duration of his career. And when he stepped away, he would have been the all-time maverick. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. For a yeah. few years, anyway. Seemed to be an incredibly gifted scorer while, uh, while in Dallas. Oh, yeah. And you would think that a team like the Pistons could, could use a little more scoring. I mean, he was, when you got him the ball on the low post, he was automatic. Mm-hmm. Just because of his big ass, yeah, <laughs> you know he would bump you out of the way with it. He would get around you, and he'd have an easy basket. But he was also pretty good from deep too. Uh, one of the other th- things that I like had a jaw drop for this is early in the uh, the Rodman episode. There's a uh, a shot of Rodman talking to a ref, and uh, the ref's like, "I didn't see it." Rodman's complaining about a guy like hitting him. He says, "I didn't see it." There's a lot of things I don't see. 
And then like kind of lets that hang for a bit, then says, but I see that shit that you do. And the way, <laughs> the way that he said, there's a lot of things I don't see had an yeah. extremely like nice fucking car. Be shame if someone broke into it kind of vibe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's not like he was trying to tell Robin this is a difficult game to officiate because there's a lot going on he was letting him know that if someone punches you in the balls I'm going to let him punch you in the balls you fucking <laughs> asshole man <laughs> I would for a ref I would give anything for a tell all tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth documentary on NBA officials especially of that time absolutely like oh god you want to know where the the stories are you don't want to know where the stories are Hmm. they got them yeah yeah i i I hope that uh at some point we got uh, officials talking sitting down and talking in these documentaries oh man that would be great but that'll uh, probably never happen i don't know i guys that'll probably die with those guys i think so yeah uh much like uh mop guys yeah similar five omerta is important <laughs> yes um but uh i i saw that uh i believe tim donahue was on a uh, i did not listen to the podcast but i read a uh, uh a brief summary of his comments about the 2006 mavericks and uh i i don't think that i fully agree with him and you know i i think that if the team's on the court then they have a chance to influence the outcome and that's what they should focus on but uh it was his contention that uh mark cuban's personal feelings uh by the refs played a a large role in how they uh instructed each other on officiating that series the 2006 mavs heat series just that because cuban was like well known as someone who was like always calling them and making it tough for them yeah that then whenever it comes that that's like the head of official like he's calling the head of officials bitching all the time the head of officials then sits down with the guys who are going to officiate the game and then doesn't say like let's fucking screw Cuban over. Uh, he just, you know, knows what kinds of fouls that people are going to commit on Dwayne Wade. And just the only things he emphasizes in meetings, much the way, uh, you guys would always talk about memos with cat of like, uh, it's like a, it's like the out front in a restaurant. It's the special, you know, whatever <laughs> memo it, it supersedes the last one. New memo. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, uh, you know, these, yeah, well, that's no longer my concern. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I think that it, it works like that for anyone where the most recent thing you heard, like you got the whole rule book, but if your boss was sitting in front of you telling like this rule, we got to enforce, it's going to change how you do things a little bit. And I think that they were then saying like, you know, the kinds of shit that, uh, that that would favor the heat. Like let's pay attention to those rules without putting it in those words. Well, I don't doubt for a minute that the vibe those guys have toward Cuban influences everything surrounding the Mavericks. Maybe not so much now because he seems to have cooled it a little bit. Or that's the way it seems to me. Am I wrong about that? I think he has some. Like whenever yeah, he went off against the Hawks out. thing, he kind of like said like, you know, uh, I've been trying to be cool for a while. Yeah. Well, it, it seems like maybe, I don't know, plus or minus 10, 15%. He's backed off a little bit, but back then, in that series against the Heat, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that 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 was just ridiculous. That was Pete Cubes. He was within two years of being mentioned on uh, Step Brothers, you know, for yeah. kind of the height of his, uh, his whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, mean the, the, he, I think he's admitted that, too, that 
his first couple of years, he thought he, he was doing a bit. I'm sure he was still fired up about it, but he, he would go out of his way to make headlines, right? And get fines and things like that. And, you know, the, the Dairy Queen thing was one of the most uh, memorable things of his first couple of years. Um, he was just trying to get publicity. And I think he admitted uh, last year or the year before on a podcast, like, it had a negative effect overall on how his team was treated. Mm-hmm. And there are very few uh, things that are more dangerous than an old group of white men who have had their way and their say for 10, 20 years than somebody running in that room and telling them how to do their shit different. Yeah. Pissing that group of people off is extremely dangerous. And I mean, just read some of the stories about Jerry his first couple of years. I mean, if you about, think Krause has an ego, <laughs> like Jerry, they try to take Jerry's team from him by getting a deal with Nike. Like there was a meeting where Jerry had to step out of the owner's meetings and stand in the hallway. Cause they were voting whether to take his football team away from him. Cause he was trying to get a sponsor that wasn't the league sponsor. Yeah. Like that's, that's how serious these people take this shit. Whenever you run in the room and try and tell them they're doing their, their business wrong. No, it's crazy. Um, one of the uh, other things that uh, I really was was taken aback by. Um, give me a second here. Scott Burrell's. Uh, Burrell. I, the Scott Burrell's part was great. Um, <laughs> I poor guy was was uh, and I, I heard that he shows up more in uh, in, in later episodes and uh, has his vindication. Because uh, I think he was like, I think he was sitting by Jordan because he's like a close friend of Jordan. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, watching him ride him was great, especially knowing what he's doing. Like I, I believe that Jordan was no stranger to drinking. Um, but uh, the stuff about the game seven against the the Pistons, uh, mm-hmm. where uh, Scotty came down with the migraine, and yeah. Jordan seems to be like really working hard to say the nicest possible thing he can say about Scotty. And what he comes up with is, I guess he had a migraine. (laughs) And the way he said that made me 100% convinced that Jordan believes that he could score 40 points of the migraine easy. Right? There's there's three to five minutes in between when this topic gets brought up and when he goes, what am I supposed to say? He said he had a migraine. There's three (laughs) to five minutes in between there of Jordan just ripping him yeah. and going, I don't give a fuck about a migraine. He's like, I'll score 50 with that with one eye. Like it doesn't matter. And then Jordan probably said, Hey guys, can we just take all that part out? Like I really like Scotty. He's a great dude. I love him. That's what happened. That's exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah. I promise. Yeah. Yeah. You should have just told the migraine fields over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it seemed fairly unconscionable to him <laughs> that, uh, that someone would have a migraine. I don't know. Uh, I I think that that makes total sense to me and like fits neatly into my Scotty narrative. And like I I was it mentioned in the documentary or was this just something I listened to about it afterwards that I, I believe Scotty's father had passed within like a couple days. Like I think that he was you know like uh, fresh off the funeral of his dad. In they game didn't bring seven. it up in the doc. Yeah, in game seven of the uh, the Eastern Conference Finals. So that's a time when I think that like regular people have an insane amount of stress and for all the things about scotty that are absolutely extraordinary i think that he had like pretty average person's capacity to handle the spotlight you know would would, would you agree with that assessment 
Um, it's not his strongest suit. Yeah. I mean, he was a small town guy for sure. Yeah. He was a small town guy who found himself thrust in, into a really fast moving scene and a fast moving world that only got faster as he went. And all things considered, when you look back at the way he conducted himself by every account that we know of and every account we see and everything that, that comes across here, he quits himself pretty well. Yeah. All things considered. I mean, he's... Amazing career with huge accomplishments. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and he seemed to, for the most part, I guess, conduct himself in pretty much the right way. Now, I think it did catch up with him at the end, and he started to show his ass a little bit. But for the most part... The part I, about I didn't want to fuck up my summer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got big plans. <laughs> I mean, listen, guys, well, I don't want to fuck up my summer. Hey, you know, this guy's got his head in the right place. <laughs> I do love summer. I mean, who wants to fuck up your summer? Yeah. <laughs> Just imagine thinking my whole summer is going to be fucked up. I don't want to fuck up my summer either. I'm hoping for a kick-ass summer. <laughs> Heard that. Got big plans. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I don't, like, I don't even really mean this as a slight, just an observation. Like, he didn't like being paid what he was being paid, but, you know, a I don't lot think of, he cared until people started talking about it. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't you know. think he gave a shit, and then everyone's like, geez, he's like the 78th highest played player in the league. What the fuck? And then he's like, yeah, 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 you're right. Maybe he was trying to turn it into a real big summer, though. You know, and just <laughs> yeah. didn't have the didn't have the spend cash some, to do spend that. Spend some money yeah. you didn't have yet. But yeah. like, uh, contrast him with uh, Kyrie Irving, who, who's playing mm-hmm. alongside the uh, the Jordan of his generation, wins a title with him, and is like, I can't do this. You know, it's not my team. Like, I want out. I want to own my own thing. Trade me. Scotty demanded to be traded, but I think that was purely a salary thing. I think that Scotty, um, maybe not necessarily like craved, but was like very capable of being happy with being the second guy on a team. Like, I, yeah. I don't know that there's a lot of players as good as Scotty that would have been as comfortable being like, you know, the, uh, the, the, the seventh thing mentioned about a championship in the first six or Jordan. Yeah. But he always seemed pretty comfortable with it. Yeah. For the most part. And I, I wonder if any part of that is like an awareness that, you know, if, if he had a lot more situations like Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Pistons, then he might have had a lot more migraines. And <laughs> having Jordan here really helps him out with that quite a bit. Nobody yeah, I likes think, a migraine. <laughs> I think that when you become, like, not just big in your sport, but big around the world, like the Bulls got for a while there, mm-hmm. you, you think that you can do shit like Michael Jordan does it. And I don't I don't know how... MJ got to this point where he could just laugh at every single question that got thrown at him about whatever it was. Yeah. But he, he just grew to this point where, you know, pointed questions from the media didn't phase him anymore. Yeah. And he would just laugh it off and either give the same answer or kind of in a charming way, give the same answer, but also like kind of tell you to fuck off. Um, Scotty wanted to try his hand at that, right? He wanted to, he wanted to deal the cards for a little while. Mm-hmm. And his first thing, his first opportunity was, yeah, you're, you guys are right. I'm not making enough money. Why don't I get the fuck out of here? And then he admits, like in this episode, that, yeah, they were never going to trade me. I knew that. And I'm yeah. like, what, what are you doing? Like, what are you, you, you just, do you want the attention? Do you, like, you see Rodman getting the attention, you see Jordan getting the attention, and then you're just Scotty, ho-hum, Arkansas guy that needs the spotlight every once in a while? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, uh, I wanted to ask you guys, talking about how Scotty was comfortable with his role and, you know, liked being on that team and never chafed under, like, being the second star. If Jordan plays today, if he gets drafted by the Bulls today, I, you know, plenty of people have been talking about this, but I want to know your guys' takes on it. Does, does he stay there the entire time? Like, I don't know what's changed, but, like, it's it's very apparent that something has, right? Like, I don't think the players functionally have more power than they did back then. Like, I don't, like, there's, it's not like the league passed a rule change that would, would change the balance so that now that they get to call the shots or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it seems like they just kind of, like, woke up and realized they have claws, uh, which, you know, always blows my mind. <laughs> like, the, the, the people, like, the, no underlying condition changed, but just like people's attitude did, and like I, I, I don't know, uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, like obviously Jordan played a long career and was with the Bulls the entire time, and did not spend that career asking for trades, you know. Uh, and I mean, it would have been crazy once the championship started, but you know, he had some tough times before that, as as documented here. Um, but I, I kind of see him as it's, it's difficult for me to imagine him specifically trying to go and like team up with someone else because I I don't think he would want to like join the way that LeBron James is willing to go to Dwayne Wade's team. Jordan's never fucking doing that. No, I don't think he's doing that either, but, but also feeling like the team wasn't doing enough to win. That seems like something he could do. Yeah. But back then, I, I don't know. Did players have that kind of movement? They never Matthew. did, but I. But what I'm saying is, I I think they could have if they had wanted it. Like I don't know why yeah. they wouldn't have. They've always had that kind of juice to be able to pull that off. They just weren't aware of it until literally like eight years ago. Yeah, I I think that's what's going yeah. on. But I don't know. I think it has a lot to do with the mindset of those guys compared to the mindset of the guys out there today. Hmm. Because for whatever reason, it seems like these guys today, and feel free to chime in here, Michael, you'd be probably a little bit more in tune with this than either of us, but it seems like these guys out there today are a lot more accessible than mm-hmm. they were, you know? For sure. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, all, they're, all, they're all buddies. They're all Twitter, and they're all here, and they're all there and everything, and they got a lot more people come, coming at them from a mm-hmm. lot more different directions, feeding them a lot more shit. Yeah. And, and I mean, back then, I mean, what are you going to do? Call somebody's house? You're going to call like Isaiah Thomas's house and be like, hey, buddy, you want to team up next year? Like now all the dudes, I mean, you'd be, it, there are some insane group text threads that are going on in the league. Like there's probably the top 10 players in the league probably have a text thread with each other. Like that just the the, yeah. the the willingness to just like it's us above this league almost, or it's up, it's definitely us above this team. It's my friends and how I want to play above this team, and then at some point, it's almost the top ten players are almost it's us above this league. We're more important than this league. Mm-hmm. Um, and back then, that was not the mindset at all. And I don't think Jordan never, if you don't introduce the idea, <laughs> it's like. Um, like if you raise an elephant and it's it's held in the from from birth, you can hold it in the ground with just this stick that's and plant it in the ground, right? And then the thing grows up and it's a two ton elephant, and once you place that stick in the ground, it still won't move. 
because it grew up thinking that yeah that this stick has power over me like that's that's the mindset they had yeah they grew up thinking they were lucky to be in this league there was such a jump in money once uh mj started playing and started becoming what he was in the bulls i mean the dynasties the lakers the celtics leading right into the bulls it grew the cap it grew the uh bri to exponential points so i'm sure whenever jordan came in he was making whatever this number was and then by the end he's making more than most teams yeah so if you have that kind of natural growth in your career and we've kind of hit this cap right of okay we're gonna split 210 million dollars this side this 105 goes to the business side and this 105 goes to the basketball operations side now and that's how it works and we're kind of like bumping our head up against it right and right now and the money's not growing it probably will in a couple of years when we figure out China streaming and all this kind of stuff. But money was growing so exponentially high at some point. So you're telling me like in the first eight years of Jordan's career, your max salary can be this. And then six years in, your max salary can be 10 times that. Like what's the negative feedback loop that he's getting? You know what I mean? Like everything's working great. Yeah, I, I just I don't know why that didn't like translate. Like I'm glad it didn't, but it, why it didn't translate mm. to him? Like it doesn't seem like he received the message that that he was bigger than. I mean, like on the one hand, he certainly felt bigger than the team, and it felt like he felt he was bigger than the team, but he never wanted to change the team. And yep. in the the first two seconds of uh, the series, there's that quote uh, I think from his draft day. Where he's like, you know, you got the the Lakers and the Celtics, mm-hmm. and I just want to build the Bulls into something that's like that. And, and they were so, nothing at that time. Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely yeah. not. Um, and and you see so you, you you see that, and you could very much understand how that's like a a natural evolution, right? Like of of, of he he was looking at the way that things had been done before him, and so he was just going to do it that way. Um, and I, I guess I just. Like so, that makes sense. Like that—that's that's kind of the stick that you're talking about. Was mm-hmm. uh, Magic and Bird being loyal to their teams? Yeah. Um, but but I, I I then wonder like how did this stick get out of that? You know, like LeBron was yep. looking at Kobe and Jordan, and they right. stuck with their teams the entire time, and he was like, "Fuck it, I want to play with my friends." Like uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's odd. I I I, and I mean like I want to be clear like uh, from a, a fairness sort of thing like i i think that the players uh I, I i think that they do matter a lot more than the owners i'm glad that they realize it i i feel like that's fair uh you know i i want to see the kid who's uh spent his entire life dedicated to his jump shot um getting what what you know he's he's got coming to him rather than you know these fucking hedge fund assholes uh you know having having power over mm-hmm. a guy who uh could fucking take him off the dribble anytime they wanted to um, but you know, it, it, it's, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in those dynamics and I don't know how they would work on George. Like if he was so single-mindedly, uh, obsessed with beating everyone else that he could never go to another team because he'd mm. always just thought about beating that team. Or if in this current, uh, system that, you know, he would just like, like the second time the Pistons beat him, they'd just be like, I'm not fucking doing this. I hate losing too much to be stuck around with you fucking migraine assholes. I'm <laughs> going and finding someone who doesn't have a migraine right now, and we're going to fucking kick your ass. I, I see yeah. those as equally plausible, and I'm I interested to see how it would play out if, if you know, his uh, free agency year was 2020. Yeah, and it's it's just a matter of like immediacy with us 
currently too. It's just the way we live. Like if we don't like something, like it's it's canceled. You don't work through it. You yeah. don't work through yeah, your relationship just, with Jerry Krause. <laughs> yeah, it's just a new time now. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's just a new time, and and you know, we think of stuff like that completely different than those guys did back then. No. And one one of the things like that I've always loved about Jordan, and we talked last week about how his his way of going about getting to the end result, which is a theme I'll bring up here in a little bit, um, like getting to your goal, if it changes you into this person that you don't like being anymore, is it worth getting to your goal? But um, one of the things I've always loved about Jordan is, I think he even made this quote, I think he was the first person that ever said this. It's so simple, but it makes so much sense to me is, keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. Like if you, if you, if you play basketball, play basketball as hard as you can and win as many basketball games as you can. Mm -hmm. The rest of the shit doesn't matter. Yeah. Like in the grand scheme of things. And that's, it's almost inverse nowadays, right? It's how do I get my basketball career and get this money so I can start like a studio or start like, uh, I can do space jam too, or I can do, you know, produce shows or produce movies and do this and that. Yeah, basketball is um, the means to some other end. Yes, exactly. It's setting up your life 40 to 80 instead of, you know, this is what I care about. This is what I'm obsessed with. Um, so it, it's sad because this is going to end and he's going to retire, right? And then he's going to do the comeback thing and all that. But the great teams that that were the Cavs with early LeBron, um, fill in your blank, you know, Warriors from two years ago, they met the same demise, but it's almost for complete opposite reasons. Like Jordan keeps the main thing, the main thing. And as soon as the main thing is not the main thing, I'm out. Like I'll just retire. Mm-hmm. And these guys are, do not keep the main thing, the main thing. Like it's almost like their fourth priority on a day-to-day basis. They wake up, think about one, two, three. Oh yeah. Basketball. Right. Yeah. But it still comes to the same end. Yeah. Well, that's most of what I got. You guys have any other odds and ends? Uh, why isn't Tony Kukoc ever quoted in this documentary? <laughs> it does seem weird that we haven't heard from him yet. He was awesome, man. Dude, he was such a good player. Yeah. Maybe his time will come. I hope uh, so. Uh, I always got the sense that Jordan didn't like him that much. Yeah. Uh, so I, I wonder if he like was like, yeah, I'll do your documentary, but don't fucking talk about Tony. <laughs> <laughs> it's just in an email somewhere no tony shit yeah leave him out of this like even the uh the posters for it it was it's four players and phil jackson and the fourth player is steve kerr and it's like steve kerr was not the fourth best player on that team tony was Dude. no but Kukoc now steve kerr is awesome. a lot more a part of the cult Very of much. personality yeah yeah yeah, yeah. can i tell you yeah. guys my favorite steve kerr story or favorite sure. uh, in all word um, but it's an interesting Steve Kerr story. I don't know if he, you guys might know it. It's, it might be a big Steve Kerr story. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but whenever he went to Arizona, um, he uh, played against Arizona State at Arizona State. And uh, the student section at Arizona State in the pregame got a uh, PLO chant going because a member of the PLO uh, murdered Steve Kerr's dad when he was oh the president of the American God. University in Beirut. Whoa. Like his dad, like he grew up Yikes. in the Middle East because yeah. his dad was a diplomat. And uh, 
he uh, was taken out by the terrorist organization. And the uh, Arizona State Sun Devil student section thought that that was kind of something they could use to get under his skin. That's Yikes. a little bit of a low blow. <laughs> it's an intense rivalry, guys. What do you think Mike Krzyzewski would have said about that? <laughs> he, he would have been uh, dismayed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yelling he, at his own fans. He yes. would have gotten on the microphone. Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I think the officials at ASU at the time were not uh, did not feel it accurately reflected their values. But <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know. Yeah, but ASU is a party school. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's a rowdy bunch, do? guys. Yeah, those it is. those are your values. Yeah, it's a tough room. <laughs> yeah. So a couple observations that I had noted down. Um, the guy that. He, he like introduces like he's like our, our guide at some point in, in episode four and he's walking to the back and I'm like, what the fuck is this guy about to show us? And he's like, oh, you want to meet uh, Mr. The, the Sniffs? And I'm like, <laughs> the what Sniff the fuck Brothers. Is, what is the Sniffs? <laughs> and he goes back there and he's like, I'm like, is he saying Smith? Like, who the fuck is yeah. this guy? And then he's explaining that all of Jordan's security guards are jock sniffers. Yeah. And he thought that was just the funniest shit he'd ever heard of. I was like, this dude, if this happened in 2020, this guy would be in a body bag in the morning. <laughs> like, like he would just get his ass beat so bad that he would never be like allowed in the locker room again. It I don't know, happen. man. I'm kind of with him. I, I, I like <laughs> laughing at all the people who think they're a big deal just because they met Michael Jordan. <laughs> and Jordan just took it. He just like acted chill. He was like, whatever, man. I mean, he was more making fun of them than Jordan. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I that just, they were getting it because they were like, uh, here's Jordan Sniff. And I'm like, yeah. uh, no, <laughs> yeah. he's not sniffing his own jock guys. You're the <laughs> ones following around stuck up his ass. Like that guy for sure, like went home and thought he was like the equivalent of Andrew Dice Clay that night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Maybe like, he's he like, I really nailed it tonight. And whatever they were talking to him to a present day, it feels like he uh, still... <laughs> kind of, yeah. you know was admiring <laughs> yeah. his walk-off home run didn't quite get it uh, i yeah, wish i thought him. about it i would have brought my autographed picture from michael jordan over here for you boys to oh, see shit Ooh, yeah damn. how'd you get that long story i want to <laughs> hear it we got a, it's a podcast <laughs> it's, it is a podcast all right many years ago you were appearing on a french television show no or? i was not okay. i was not <laughs> Um, pre-ticket years. Ticket was nowhere near the drawing board. It was a million miles away. And the Mavericks had this fanzine that they put out called Mavericks Press. Okay. Bring that Is back, this ringing any bells? <laughs> you ever read Mavericks that. Press? <laughs> no, I don't remember that. Well, this was it, a I Kevin just... Sullivan and Tony Fay production. This one, Sully was here and... Okay. Tony Fay was his young, capable, dry-witted underling. And they would put it out every now and then. Well, one time Sully comes up up to me. And because I used to hang out in the press room with him after games and stuff and would, you know, shoot the bull till well into the night. And that's how I got to know those guys, really. Mm -hmm. Um. He comes up to me and says, how about you do a story for Mavericks Press on the history of the Mavericks uniform? Well, at this time, the Mavericks had only had like one, I uh -huh. think, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, Don Carter liked to wear a cowboy hat, so they put a cowboy yeah, hat on yeah. it. They it's got a cowboy, hat. cowboy hat on it. <laughs> yeah. This is the reunion. We're green and blue, and we're done. But gamely, I waited in mm-hmm. on this. And without telling them, I kind of morphed this thing on a history of the uniforms of all the teams in the NBA. And I would call around all of them and talk to whoever I could get on the phone about them and everything like that. And I wrote the story, and it appeared in Mavericks Press. And all this time that I've been going to the games, and this is probably like in the early 90s, it had been around for almost a decade by then or so. Norm Sanju saw me a million times, but I don't think he ever knew my name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I was just that insignificant to him. Mm-hmm. And Tony Faye comes up to me one night and says, hey, Norm wants to see you. <laughs> and I said, why? He said, because he loved your story in the Mavericks press. Mm. He's wondering who did it. And so I went over there, and and he brought me over there to Norm and said, Norm, this is Mike Reiner. He's the guy that did the story. And Norm looked at me like, you? <laughs> yeah. This guy who's been hanging around here all this time doing nothing except eating hot dogs? You <laughs> are the guy that wrote that? And he told me how great he thought it was and everything like that. Well, they took it and circulated to all circulated around to all the other teams in the league. Okay. And in a few of their fanzines, it appeared. Mm-hmm. And Delicious. all of a sudden, I was getting checks nice. from some of them for like 10 bucks or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I get an envelope showing up at the house one day, and it's like a brown envelope. It's from the Bulls. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, what could this be? You know, it's like uh, you can get a check in something other than this. Mm-hmm. And I opened it up, and it's a picture, an autographed picture of Michael Jordan. Holy shit. Saying, to Mike, Michael Jordan, which I know he didn't sign. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what? when was this? If it was way before Ticket, it might have been he was counts. still, uh, uh, you know, willing uh, to sign he some was things. Pretty, he was pretty big by then. Yeah? Yeah. But if it wasn't, I don't want to know it. Sure. <laughs> Let sure, me sure. think that it is. Yeah. Because I got it that's hanging from, on my wall. That's from that's great. That's from MJ. Man, their uh, their uniforms throughout are fucking great. Yeah, the Bulls got a look, man, and they 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 stick with it, and I respect the shit out of that. Honestly, like, imagine if the Mavs just stuck with like the original. I wish they had. Like, it would just you just look at it and go like, "Yep, that's the shit. Yep, that's it. Yep, that's the that's one. Them. That's their look. Always yep. has been. Always will be. Yeah, but you got to win a couple of titles before you can do that." Indeed. Um, all right, a few more things before we're done. Yeah. If Phil Jackson isn't the origin of big dick energy, yeah. And I don't know what the fuck is. <laughs> yeah. That guy's just always cool as shit, just doing whatever the fuck he wants. And I'm convinced he must have a giant dick. Yeah, every statement seems to imply. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the guy's just packing. <laughs> yeah, just freaking dangler. Mike and I understand um, him. Uh, me and Machine understand him a little better because uh, we've been to Montana, so we kind of yeah. get that background. Well, <laughs> I've never been to Montana, but I missed that guy in the game, man. You got to go. You, you then you this, would get this it. year. This is our big summer, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Montana, it is. Then yeah. let's go. <laughs> Don't want to fuck up your summer. Um, I like I like how they got to the point of the story where Michael Jordan discovered lifting weights. In weight training, seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the, and the shit was over for everybody else. 
I'm glad we made it through four episodes before hearing from his trainer. Yeah. I feel like, like that guy was yeah. always like, he, he, yeah. he knew where the reporters were. Yeah. Fucking Victor Conti over there or whatever. Yeah. The guy that run Balco just yeah. pops up out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then poor Scott Burrell on that damn plane, man. He's just like, no, seriously, stop talking to this <laughs> fucking camera. Although good news for him, like his mom and dad may have seen it, but he's, he's got to be fine with it. He appears to think that this footage is going to get out like tomorrow. Yeah. By yeah, the way, he's he reacting. And, uh, you know, it worked out for him. Yeah. And then the, the one thing I can't stop thinking about is, uh, okay, if you set these goals of things you want to do in your life, which Jordan obviously, I'm sure from the first time he got kicked off his high school basketball team, he said to himself, I want to be the best basketball player on earth. And I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And of course you have to have some kind of God given ability and talent and all this, you know, uh, chemical makeup, um, athletic stature and all this stuff. But whenever you set these goals, you don't realize the person that you're going to become to achieve these goals might not exactly be worth it. Like by the time you get there, I like doubt him, he feels that way. He he doesn't. I know he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't feel that way. And I think he kind of turned out okay. But it's like probably we talked what about holds other week. people back, though. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the the unwillingness to like go to those depths depths of just being like, um, I'm going to yell at every one of my teammates. They're going to hate me. They're going to wake up at six a.m with nightmares and me screaming at him, telling him how they fucked up and stuff like that. I mean, the story of most successful sports figures is people who like, you know, did not, were, were, were absolutely comfortable with things that other people weren't comfortable with. Yeah. Like Bob Knight was, in, was comfortable with a lot of things that other people weren't comfortable with. Bill Belichick is very comfortable mm-hmm. with a lot of things that other people are uncomfortable with. Jimmy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I, I, I think that's all of it, man. I, I think yeah. you know, like uh, yep, the lengths you're willing to go to. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Jordan was very comfortable with things that other people were uncomfortable with. Yeah, but that just that just fascinates me. Whenever it's somebody that's like achieved at that level, that like you clearly turn into a different person along this journey, right? Like the things that you really want to do that you care about that I say right now I really want to do, or Mike said when he was 25 he really wanted to do, like. Okay, if you do them, I tell you you can do them, but you're going to be a completely different person, and it's just going to take a shitload out of you, and like your joy for this thing is almost gone. Like, do you still want to do it? Yeah, man, where do I sign up for it? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was fun, guys. Yeah, that was yeah, awesome. It was Thank fun. you, Mike. Thank you, boys, for having me. Absolutely, course, uh, a pleasure that you uh, took the time. Yes, sir. Enjoyed Indeed. it. Indeed. Good to see you again, Michael. Great to see you, bud. Take care, all right? Will do.